Sziasztok, Janó vagyok. Közép-Európa első világra szóló podcast csatornáját hallgatjátok Magyarországról. Ez a Budapest.fm. Hi, my name is Ray, and you're listening to the number one podcast station in Central Europe, Budapest.fm, podcasting to the world from Hungary. Elfelejtettem, elfelejtettem. Sziasztok mindenkinek, itt vagyunk uh, Tara Kozen and Fernanda, Fernanda Silva from Brazil. You are, and you are from, where are you from? From New Mexico. New Mexico. Uh, my aunt used to live in Santa Fe. Really? Beautiful New Mexico. Yeah. Only been once, but really gorgeous. And uh, I went skiing there also at the Santa Fe, I think it's like the Santa, Santa Fe Mountain. And they also have... Taos? Is that in? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Taos. A long yeah. time ago. There's wow. no skiing in Brazil, is there? Well, no skiing in Brazil. <laughs> Where, which part of Brazil are you from? I'm from the south. I was born in Londrina, north of Paraná state. Paraná but state. I grew up in Foz do Iguaçu. It's the border with Paraguay and Argentina. And that's Amazing. where the waterfalls are? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Iguaçu Falls. Amazing. I've never yeah. been, but I've heard fantastic should, things. Yeah. Is it that, like jaw-dropping, breathtaking when you actually get there to see it in person? Yeah, actually, when you are on the road approaching with the bus, because when I was there, when I was smaller, we could reach by car. So when we were going the road approaching, you can feel a bit already the water <laughs> and the sound from very far. So you have goose pimples in all your body. So it's indescribable. I try, but <laughs> should get there. Once. That sounds amazing. I've been to Rio Grande do Sol, uh, Porto Alegre. Yeah, I went the gauchos. There. The gauchos, yeah. We yeah. had some nice uh, steak and uh, barbecue on Sunday. I think I ate some weird stuff like chicken hearts. Yeah, and, chicken uh, hearts is very nice. <laughs> they made this whole pot roast thing for me and I thought it was just normal meat. And then my friend who was Brazilian, he went to my high school and they invited us down there. And then he started giggling. And I was like, why are you giggling? And he said, look at it closer. And it was just giant tongues from the cows. And it was yeah. actually delicious. It was yeah. really delicious. Mm. What about uh, in New Mexico? How did you get there? Your family's from there or? My mother's from there. My, my dad's from Iran. Oh, cool. And, um, where they also like to eat cow tongue. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the most tender kind of meat. And they make this big mm. soup called kale pache. In Iran. In Iran. In Iran. Yeah. Ida. Ida. And they, um, they have it for breakfast. And it's all of the stuff in the head and the hoof. That's oh, the wow. Name of the, <laughs> and it's like a calorie bomb. Is he from Tehran? Uh, yeah, he, he, he grew up in Tehran, but, but I think he was born in Kashan. You go there often, is, too? I've never been there. Never been? Yeah, my family, they, they left during the revolution in 79. Uh-huh. They're, um, they're Baha'is, and it got very bad for Baha'is. What's a Baha'i? Uh, it's a religion that started in the mid-1800s, and it's the largest minority in Iran after uh-huh. the kinds of Islam. And so, yeah, it got very bad for them at that time, and then they moved to Ecuador. To Ecuador? yeah. Wow. I don't know if they eat cow tongue. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to, actually, I have one Ecuadorian friend. There's actually an Ecuadorian, a statue to an Ecuadorian uh, traveler, poet, uh, philosopher of some sort in the Varos Mayor in District 2. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why. I think it's like an 18th century guy that came to Budapest and I guess made an impact. He was an expat. I guess we're all expats. Yeah. Um, we have a Brazilian and Iranian-American. Why did you guys come to Budapest or to Hungary in the first place? Starting uh, with... Uh, short. Short, short, <laughs> short, long. Short, <laughs> short, long. <laughs> 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 um, 
in Brazil, I was uh, having my vacation and I met with a very nice Hungarian guy. Oh. And we had a very nice love story. And the young people are very brave for many things. So we were very brave to have a child together. Oh, great. But we couldn't get along together because he came back to Hungary and I w wished to have the baby in Brazil. So mm -hmm. my de decision was to stay there. So we kind of broke up, but not uh, in a bad way. Uh, statements let's say mm -hmm. we, we we were fine with each other just we didn't want to continue the relationship but later on i thought that it's uh, nicer for my child to have mom and dad because of his work he could not move to brazil uh -huh. and i thought that i can give brazilian culture to this child from home but to give hungarian culture from brazil it will be difficult <laughs> i know myself i know he, he will speak portuguese probably english and hungarian how can i teach him from here so Let's give a try. And so our decision as parents that, yeah, the best would be if I would come and I could make my, my life here in Hungary. Oh, wow. So I came to share the parenting. That's, That's why I came to Hungary. How old is your son? Now he's 17. He will be 18 on November, this November. Oh, Bulldog Soteshnapo. That's amazing. Does he have a Hungarian <laughs> name or a Portuguese name? He has a name uh, that is not uh, Portuguese, it's not Hungarian, it's Frank. <laughs> Frank? <laughs> yeah. Nice. But in, yeah, in, in Hungarian it would be Ferenc. <laughs> Ferenc. <laughs> and in Portuguese it would be Francisco, but I think he doesn't <laughs> like uh, any version, so Frank is the nicer. <laughs> We're here in uh, Fran Ferenc Varos right now, Frankie Town. So that's cool. Frankie and why Town. did you come to Budapest anyway? similar story i uh i was working with a hungarian theater company called stereo act uh -huh. and they were uh they came to an international theater festival in albuquerque and um i got involved in a workshop that they were doing and then we did a show together which was this kind of uh beautiful bus-based theater piece where the audience sits on a bus and all of the theater happens on the street outside um, and then the bus kind of goes through the city and all of the actors have chase cars and it was very, very beautiful, very um, imagistic and poetic. And I was really impressed with the way that they, they worked with professionals and amateurs together. And I was curious about the art scene in Budapest. And, and then later they invited me to come to Budapest and I came here and I was like, ah, the, the level of work and the rigor of work is much higher than what I was seeing in the States. And I felt like there was... Um, which, of course, is a, is a giant, uh, I don't know, a, a kind of When was this, idea. by the way? What, what? This was two and a half, no, three years ago. Three years ago. Okay, yeah. cool. So I wanted to be part of, of what was happening here. Um, it must the, have been an interesting in time to come, like, right, I guess that was right before or right after COVID started? Yeah, right before. I came right before. Right before. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then I came, and I, I also kind of came for love, because I then fell in love with a mm -hmm. Hungarian person. Oh, nice. And, yeah. It's easier to stay. Yeah. It's easier <laughs> to stay. And then I had a lot of reasons to be in Budapest, and, and those reasons persist. Yeah, I as well met a Hungarian girl, not a guy, but mm -hmm. also fell in love. And now here I stayed since 2018. Hard to believe it's been four years now. We actually met, I don't know if you know this place, it closed down, I think, before you got here, but the Corvin Tattoo. Oh, Corvin Tattoo was a place that I used to go with my child when he was very small. It was a place that we could sit in an open place because in Brazil it's very <laughs> common that you go to pubs, open place, with a child. If the parents are there, it doesn't matter. The kids can come in. So Corvin Tattoo was a place that I spent a lot of summers in the roof. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's also, I guess you didn't go with him when it was like a late night rave there or something, but he went to As he, well. As but well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well now it's closed unfortunately because that was a cool place but i think they're remodeling that whole blaha 
Yeah, I hope they will make something cool because yeah, it's really nostalgic for me that area I spent a lot of time. Have you ever been to, there's a faux restaurant, a Vietnamese faux restaurant that's right uh, next to the Blaha Ter Mall, the Corvin, Corvin Mall, mm -hmm. and it's amazing. It's like a little hole in the wall, but if you like Vietnamese food, really, really good. Lam An Pho, ah. it's my favorite. I, I was addicted because we lived right down the street <laughs> in uh uh, Dohan Utsa, near yeah. the New York Cavezo. Yeah. And then that was just like a five-minute walk, and it was 2,000 forints for a bowl of pho. And so I would go every day at lunch. And that's almost amazing in Budapest because there are so many nice places to frequent. <laughs> yeah. Every district you go, there is a nice restaurant, a nice coffee shop, and I'm a little addict of uh, treating myself with a slice of cake or nice <laughs> coffee. And yeah, Budapest is full with stuff too. Spend yeah. your money. <laughs> where, where, where have you lived in Budapest, both of you? Which parts of the city? Where have you lived, huh? Uh, I lived first with um, with my partner's mother in her in the kind of attic apartment above her place. I was in the second district. Oh wow! Uh, kind of up the up some stairs. The Rojadom. Yeah. Nice. And that's where that's where he grew up. And now we live in the eighth district, close to Korvin. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Well, and I got in Hungary. I lived first in Obuda. Oh, yeah. It's uh, the third district in Zsigmondtér. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. A small house in the backyard of a little building. And after that, I moved to the 13th district. I live in, lived in Visegrad Street. That I love that, that area uh -huh. mm. for a few years in two different uh, flats. Then I moved to the 6th district, Andrashi, and now I'm living in the 14th district. Near the old Durerkert, which yeah. is also closed now. They're really gutting yeah. the, the, the atmosphere and the nightlife yeah, I, out of Budapest. And the, that green as well beside the park is really nice. But yeah, I love this this area, the 6th, 13th district. Mm. The they just opened, didn't, don't they have like a hot air balloon going up above the park now? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's People very can, like. Uh, yeah, get in and you can have a, uh -huh. a view of the city from. So I've been reading a lot. I'm trying to write actually some stories about the 1896 Millennial Exhibition, which was the 1,000 year celebration of Hungarian history, yeah. basically, since when they came into the Carpathian Basin. And it was sort of this late 19th century World's Fair. I don't know if you guys know that book. It's called Devil in the White City. It's about the Chicago World's Fair. And there's a bunch mm -hmm. of uh, World's Fairs that were going on from 1851 in London and then the Paris Universal uh, Exhibitions, whatever they called them. And it was these big gathering points. And so they had one in Budapest that was mm -hmm. just about like Hungarian history and culture, basically, for the 1,000-year celebration. Mm -hmm. And that was also when all the minority groups were here, like the Croatians and the Serbs and the Slovaks and the Romanians. So it was a little bit of like a pride before the fall situation because they were trying to assert their Hungarian dominance over the region. And then, of course, World War I happened uh, not so long after that. What is your, does your son like the Hungarian school system? Um, not really. No? <laughs> not really. I think also, uh, not only based in his opinion, but I see it, there are lots of uh, possibilities. It's very, very rich. Yeah. Uh, in, a, in a certain way that uh, it's different from Brazil but I see that everywhere still they have the old fashion style that the kids are very tired so the system going on it's based in that there are few schools that are trying to make it different but not of all of them are a public school so right. what he uh, pissed him off still that there are some, many many uh, contents that you won't really use it in life. 
it's it's good to have knowledge, but it's better to focus your knowledge for what will bring happiness and also things that I still think that kids should learn in school. How to deal with your taxes. We should have learned <laughs> that by already working with your university, trying to write your thesis. It's, it's a lot of stuff that we should learn in school. How to be a normal citizen. Yeah, I agree. There's a lot of there's a real lack of like civic knowledge and financial literacy. With a, I mean, that's a problem in America also. It's not just in Hungary. I think it's a global problem. Useless knowledge. Useless knowledge. Yeah, yeah I do. I happen to love useless knowledge, but it would be <laughs> nice sometimes, especially in these times of crisis, if they taught us a little bit more like survival skills. Um, and how do you know my uncle, by the way? I, I know oh. your uncle because I I worked on a film with him that actually recently just wrapped. Uh, in New York. It's a children's film by Godfrey Reggio, uh, and who's a kind six of an iconic monk six from New nine. Mexico. He lived in New Mexico for a while, he, right? Yeah, yeah. He, that's where we met, actually. I met Godfrey. Oh, cool. Godfrey, and, and he came to some theater that I was a part of, and we became very quick friends. And um, yeah, the and way that my uncle started. describes Godfrey makes him sound like the most interesting uh, person in the world. Like he sounds like a very strange, mercurial, like talented genius that is like constantly scribbling in his notebook and doing all sorts of wild vision. Didn't he take like a 14 year vow of silence or something? He was um, I think he was he was in silence while he was a monk. And that was, I think, from age 12 to 22 or 24. Wow, that's or crazy. I, I can't be silent for like 14 minutes, let alone yeah. 14 years. <laughs> and it really, really yeah. Neat. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. And so, Mike so Tyson's in that film. movie, right? And my friend Mike Tyson, <laughs> we also became very quick friends. Were you there the day very, that he was on set? Yeah, and, and I became, it was, it was a really interesting environment making this film because it was uh, like very, very collaborative. We, set, we um, filmed everything in a big room next to where the office is. And which created this environment of like extreme collaboration. And so the day that Mike Tyson was there, um, we had a very easy communication. And I'm I'm not generally uh, intimidated by um, fame. And so I I just I don't know. We had like a nice friendship. And then I ended up being the person that was kind of directing him that day. Wow! And what so an experience. <laughs> it was very. That's yeah, and there, and there was enough trust and like um, and loveliness in the team that like that actually your uncle was just like ah like you're you're working really well with him like you stand behind the camera and so there was a lot of that in this in this process mm -hmm. which which is really uncommon for film. That's awesome. So, yeah, I, I've been in a few of my uncle's films, but they were yeah. all shot between the ages of like two and uh, seven. He made uh. like some incredible family movies that we still have today <laughs> that are re really, 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 I think masterpieces in a way. I mean, it's, it's really, he's a really cool guy, Uncle John. He is uh, an awesome dude. And what's, what's the name of the movie again? Once Within a Time. Once Within a Time. Do you know when yeah. it's coming out? I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly. Uh, yeah. And Godfrey, he was so, like the director of the, the I'm going to butcher this name, but the Komakatsky, whatever it is. Yeah, Kianiskatsky. Kianiskatsky, yeah. which at the time was like a gown, groundbreaking, like visual, artistic view of like societal organization and like a real like bird's eye time lapse, like crazy psychedelic uh, experience, no? Totally. Yeah. And there's three of them. And I think they're around 10 years apart. And that, that's how that's, that's how where my uncle, uncle met. got connected on the third one. And now yeah. my, my uncle seems like he's like, what's this word again? Am, amuensis. Like it's like when you're like a older artistic person's like 
person that you channel their vision like old like yeah. pianists and stuff used to have to have when they got their hands got arthritic they would have to have like the amuensis like actually do the the art for them wow. so that's that's really cool and so have you spent much time in brooklyn um yeah i was there i mean a bit i was i was there last year in march for about a month and then again i think in november for another month mm-hmm um, or in June for another month, and then and then for three months at the end of last year. Cool. Yeah. What about you in uh, America? Ever have you ever been? No, never. Been. Never. Never been. Shoha. 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 Never Wow. I've never been there, but it's fun that you guys talking about uh, movies because uh, sometimes I work with some productions as well, but we never spoke about yeah. it. I think. Oh really? And I never thought that you are related to that too. So it's. <laughs> It's something that uh, Hungary bring bring people together because mm. of yeah. that too. There are a lot of uh, productions ongoing. So I'm yeah. more related to it through my uncle. Although I do spend yeah. enough time filming myself that I guess I am <laughs> sort of like in the film industry as well, just in the selfie yeah. film industry. Yeah, just get, uh, <laughs> how, how are you connected with Americans to it? in this way? So yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of a, it's something that I I wish to do because my son also he he really wants to see once. Or maybe living there, I don't know, spend some time, you know. Yeah, there's a lot of Brazilians in America also. Yeah, I mean, yeah. especially in New York. I played soccer my whole life, so there was always tons of Brazilians. I have schoolmates uh, living there, so yeah. Brazilians really like the American dream. <laughs> 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 Brazilians are, are really cool, I love Brazilians. My favorite <laughs> soccer team is Liverpool, and they have a few uh, Brazilian guys in there, Fabinho, Firmino, Allison, mm-hmm. and they're always like... <laughs> my favorite players because they're just they Many play with genius. a lot of uh, style and and uh, and grace also and they're also excellent players so it's like really more fun than sometimes when you watch the other countries like Germany is always great but they play just like machines or England's always like killing people but the Brazilians they're playing like they're on the beach and they're having ah, a little, they were having fun yeah. <laughs> if we do something especially with our free time it's like life is enough hard so let's have some fun <laughs> Nice. No and how did you guys meet anyway? Because of the campaign. That Which we, campaign? Well, uh, because of the war that started in Ukraine. Um, I tried to put some donations in the car to make it full and go with my bo- boyfriend to the border to take some supplies. Which border were you going to go to? We were thinking of going to Zahoin because uh-huh. uh, actually the Carpathian area, they, they, this region was in need first, what I read. And from that point... I made some uh, uh, posts on, on Instagram, some stories, and s- many, many people start to will to donate. So to collect everything and then take somewhere, I need help. So I recruit some friends and then start to grow and grow and friends of friends. And, you know, Brazilians are like, they know everybody <laughs> from everywhere. <laughs> so the guys from Shemelweis uh, University wrote some people. The guys working in multinational companies, they brought their colleagues and so on. And then Tara just came and I just was no, uh, got knowing lots of people in the Brazilian community that I didn't know yet. And also out of the Brazilian community. And then uh, it was funny because the people who gather in my place... They were really connected with uh, things that I'm also related, for example, arts, singing. And so it was a very nice uh, uh, meeting for me to, to have Tara in the nice. campaign. She was a very, and still a very helpful hand. How did you find out about it? 
Uh, Facebook, the the great forum of Budapest. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I was just looking for organizations or groups of people that were working um, primarily in English, because I speak some Hungarian, but I'm still not very, very confident. And in group settings, of course, it's more challenging to follow the conversation. Uh-huh. And so I found you through that. And then I, uh, and really, I, I wanted to talk about this photos. That, like, I saw this photo yeah. of you guys and she she just took a picture of everybody that was there together like sorting the donations and i saw this group of people and it was like obviously very diverse and from a lot of different places and i was like oh this looks amazing i want to be part of this community and so i think i just saw saw their faces and wanted to come nice. maybe realize it's it's so important to capture to capture images of of what you're doing and not not for I don't know, self-promotion, but right. just to communicate course, the, yeah. the community. And you were doing that in a really yeah, beautiful we, we way. We just wanted to have some voice, like, yeah, we, we have things. I have a space. I opened my, my flat for that. We started, like, a headquarter. And when I saw that things are growing and we, we need more people, how to announce it. So social media is really working hungry. And we decided to yeah, have a little office and share the tasks. So... We have a group of coordinators. Mm-hmm. We have uh, assistance for administration. Right, right, right. So what's the organization's name, by the way? HUR is Help Ukrainian Refugees. H-U-R. H-U-R. H-U-R Hungary. Yeah, and you're now like an official organization, or well, how does that work? That's the thing, because we, we started as a campaign, but most of the Brazilians who gather in my place and start to get closer to the coordination we saw that yeah, everybody did some volunteer work in somewhere in Brazil, work with some charity. So we thought that we cannot just finally be met and we see that we can work together. So our uh, target is to become an association. We are working on that because this is just a campaign and we are very happy if this will end soon. We don't want to aid refugees from war for so, so long. Right. We want to end with this story. So. Once it finishes, we have a lot of places to help in Hungary. The Roma com- community, for example, uh, orphanates and uh, uh, places where we can find people in need. So we really want to continue this work. That's why we are uh, organizing our center, humanitarian center. So That's great. And, and even if the war ends soon, I mean, that seems like a pipe dream, to be honest with you. Yeah. It seems like it's just going to be a more protracted and longer drawn out conflict. Uh, from a realistic perspective, to be honest. But even if it does end, it's some miracle. It just, you know, stops. There's still going to be tons of problems with helping out. Even, I think, small things like a lot of the kids that are coming and now living in Hungary and they don't speak the language and they minorities. need minorities that uh, are... Uh, I know that we helped out with... Um, this family down, I forget the name of the town, but it was somewhere in a ranch and it was this Belgian guy. I call him Belgian Steve. And he texted me and we had a similar experience. We rented a car, put some posts out, and then all of a sudden I had like $30,000 to spend. So we went out down to uh, somewhere down south to this Belgian Steve guy's house and they had a whole family of Carpathian Roma plus one yeah. guy who was the husband of the wife who was going to give birth in like four days. There was like 10 children running around, all these people. And he was a Ukrainian, Hungarian, with maybe a little bit of Roma heritage, but either way was with this Roma woman about to have a newborn. And now Belgian Steve has them on his ranch. And there's like <laughs> 30 of them living there. I mean, maybe not 30, 20 or so. And yeah. so they just like stockpiled all this food for the winter. But obviously, you know, that's just a temporary band-aid. And if the family's going to live there, even if the war is going on or not, they're still going to need continued assistance. So 
Yeah, just we don't need that uh, kind of demand anymore with donations. We have to run to the stations and aid people through the night, go to Zaho and to the borders, right. make these kind of actions. But we still are on to aid uh, maybe a less amount of people, but more direct assistance mm -hmm. to find shelters still, maybe find a group to make some cool. sports on the weekends yeah, for yeah, yeah. Uh, youngs that are staying for months or so. Some nice. Little actions, but some something to help. H-U-R... Hungary. Hungary. Yeah. And I think this is um, this is another crucial thing for now that we can help sort of help people find each other and help create community mm -hmm. within within the Ukrainians that are now in Budapest and and in other parts of Hungary. And this is also one of my interests. I'm, I'm a musician, and I after working with you, I realized like, well, what what can an artist do in this situation? Like, actually, I don't have. I don't know, the, the, the resources to meet the humanitarian crisis. <laughs> um, but now we're at the point where, where classes and like, events where people can gather is really helpful. So, so now we're, um, I started to work with Magyar Zenehaza to, um, to create some events for, for kids. And there's also, um, they've opened lots of concerts for Ukrainian refugees, and so you just have to sign up a f for a form, in a form, about which concert you want to go to. And oh, great. you can go for free. And I can, I can also give you the links for these. Yeah, that'll be awesome. Yeah, I'll post them can. on the, the description of this episode. If you're watching out yeah. there, we'll see all the information on the, on the replay and in the description. But what type of uh, musician are you? I'm a classical singer, and um, but I've moved away from traditional. What, what is a classical singer? Oh, kind of like an opera singer. I'm an opera singer. Oh wow! But I um, I moved away from opera and uh, and traditional art song and do mostly experimental singing and improvisation. Um, yeah. I saw you. You had a concert the other day at the Aurora, right? Yeah, yeah. How did that go? Mm -hmm. It was great. This was. Uh, you were there also. I'm, I was not, no. but yeah, I'm just following her work, and for me it was amazing that she came to the campaign, and she came with this project, this musical project for uh, Ukrainian kids, and uh, we can also, uh, we can collect some instruments, right? Yeah, we yeah. We are collecting uh, some instruments for the oh, kids. So that concert at the Aurora in the 8th was for Ukrainian kids? It, it was not, it was actually a separate, a separate project. I, I guess see. this is another... Doing a lot of projects. Um, a, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I don't know. But I, I had this little platform um, uh -huh. from Jazzai, which is a, a improvised experiment, experimental music series in Budapest. Um, and they choose a different curator for each month to curate three concerts, improvised concerts. And they're every Wednesday at Aurora. And so I worked with a, a Ukrainian um, literature and gender studies scholar named Masha Samashnya, and she selected some poems for each event. Ah, and then we nice. kind of based the improvisations on those poems. I've been getting into so, Ukrainian poetry, uh, well, mostly just the history of, of Taras Shevchenko, because he's a very interesting figure to me. I mean, this Ukrainian poet that was basically born as a serf, and then he came to Const I mean, to, to St. Petersburg, and his, his freedom was bought for him by Karl Bryuliov, or whatever his, how do you pronounce his name, uh, and then he became a free poet and started to write a lot and paint a lot. He was a phenomenal painter, and he wrote specifically about the experience of the Ukrainians, and he wrote in the Ukrainian language. And then he had this uh, poem called Kobzar, or this book of poems called Kobzar, and a Kobzar is like that Ukrainian guy that walks around with this sort of like authentic folk guitar and goes and recites his poetry and this book Kobzar it like brought the Ukrainian language 
onto the European stage. And so his career went further and further. And then he wrote a really sort of uh, defamatory satire about Tsar Nicholas and more importantly, Tsar Nicholas's wife who had some facial tics. Mm -hmm. And so Tsar Nicholas exiled him out to like the Caspian Sea and he lived the next 10 years as an exile, but he became this sort of uh, torch for freedom and liberty and the Ukrainian people. And then Tsar Nicholas's um, son, Tsar Nicholas, Tsar Alexander II, he freed the serfs. And so that was seen as like a big motivation was this like poetry that Shevchenko wrote. But I think that the Ukrainian story is also a very captivating, like uh, literary and romantic um, story because it's really this, people are so amazed that Russia came in and, uh, you know, is doing all this violence against them, but they've been doing it for centuries. It's not like a new thing whatsoever. Yeah. Whatever project I think that is uh, also supporting, keeping uh, Ukrainian culture mm -hmm. alive for the people who cannot keep it in their countries, they are not even there. So promoting this kind of things, I think it's it's very nice. It's very special. It's very important. Not only it's not only beautiful because it would be beautiful if you could do it in another circumstance. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. But it's very necessary, and I'm I'm very happy that uh, Tara just uh, joined our in our campaign, and she's developing some so other nice projects. Do, do you see the, the kids really responding to the musical classes? Is that something that has been very... Yeah, it's really beautiful. And I mean, and, and mostly um, what, what I'm trying to do and what, what I also learned from you and some people from uh, UNHCR, which I always mm -hmm. forget exactly what the... United the Nations United Human Nations. Rights Council or yes, something? Yes, thank you. Um, is that the best is to find, um, to find people from within the community and support what they're already doing. Huh. And so you're not imposing a, a, a program onto a community, but instead sort of just supporting what all, what's already going on. But yeah, there's um, especially a lot of Roma people from, from Ukraine have come here and are coming from poverty mm -hmm. and are really, really hungry for, for programs and they speak Hungarian. And so it's also quite <laughs> easy to, to bring like a Hungarian music teacher into that environment to, um, yeah, to bring, to bring programs. And they're so happy <laughs> and they're so sweet. And so, yeah, I'll also give you another link of people, Hungarian All music right, teachers great. who would like to sign up. We're going to have a lot of links. <laughs> We're going to have a lot Scroll of down, links. scroll yeah. down. <laughs> That's great. And what are the big things that you're focused on, like, let's say, in the next couple of weeks with your organization? Well, we are together now being supported by United Nations. So huh. uh, we are promoting training. So we had the first uh, two weeks ago. And because of my personal things, like moving from my flat, as I told you previously, uh, we couldn't manage to make in the following weekend. So we are planning to have it continuously every week, a different training uh, together with the uh, UNHCR <laughs> <laughs> and so from that point we are also uh, planning in a different way how we work because previously we had to go to Zahon to help a lot because when I was there first time the mayor just asked me like we don't need donations, we don't need any items we need uh, um, workforce so if you can bring people and that's, mm. that's what we did, we took translators we took uh, uh, many different uh, people with different tasks to help around the stations, but now the demand is not that high anymore. So right. we have to figure out how, because still we have kind of uh, 100 volunteers. We had already about 150, 
but now we have around 100 people still with us and we are trying to find the shelters in Hungary, in, in Budapest that we can serve better because also to cover the cost of the trip. So we work with donations still, mm -hmm. but we try to make it more, uh, as the aid is being more personal now. So for example, we had one volunteer that she uh, couldn't work in the very beginning with the donations, serving in the shelters or in the stations. But now that she opened the volunteering for music therapy, so the Brazilian girl, she's a musical, music, music therapist, and she's joined in this project now. So our aim is to direct the people with certain tasks, uh, to, with certain skills for the proper tasks. So if we have professional people that we can send for volunteering in these kind of centers, or if we can help some shelter to clean, to go in a night shift. So we also uh, wait that uh, some people who are listening to us this afternoon, if they really want to connect with us, we have people, we can collect donations still. So where, where do the people come to find you? Do you have a website? Do you have a Facebook uh, page? We have a Facebook page and we have Instagram and you can find under this name, H-U-R Hunger. Yeah. And so you can find all the information there, monetary donation and items donation. At the moment, we are not collecting because we don't have a headquarter at the moment. Right, right, right. So, but still, we have a lot to do regarding training because also this situation won't end any soon. And there's a special way to deal with uh, refugees from war and we have to be extremely careful. That's why mm -hmm. United Nations together with us because we want to learn and grow also in our way to, to aid people. Yeah, of course, that sounds awesome. Well, congratulations, Gratulalok. Has there been any particularly like specific uh, uplifting experience that you have in mind with like an individual that you worked with or something that really touched your heart, like brought you to tears? Well, Either of you, by the way. Go no, ahead. Please. Oh, well, uh, you mean right now with this situation or in life in general? Oh, either way, whichever way <laughs> well, you want to take it. Because Have it, you ever cried? <laughs> uh, my, my background, actually, it's uh, uh, I grew up in a religious environment and I went to missionary school. Oh, wow. So it was also, I, I had a lot of training on that. And I faced many, many uh, different situations. But I think what we are, what I'm facing here it's 2022 and there are some situations that shouldn't exist. So, for example, there was a, a lady in Zahon. She arrived. She had all the papers, Ukrainian papers for the kids. She was Hungarian, but she was also Ukrainian and she was from Roma community. Hmm. And she was struggling to show the people that she didn't want any problem there. She needed help. She arrived. She was trying to translate from Ukrainian language. She had four kids like uh, <laughs> stairs and one in her belly and she looked like 22 years old and that was very difficult for me to see how young and she gave what she had the kids could say uh, poems in hungarian and sing songs but they were completely dirty and the poorness has mm -hmm. a smell mm -hmm. all around the world is the same where is poverty there is smell of poverty and that when they have to, in their own language, make a performance for people to, you know, give a juice for them, mm. give this baby trolley for them. <laughs> and after you take the child to the doctor room right. and you see that because you are holding the hand of the child, she was so scared, the little girl. But if you are there and we are talking to her and touching her, that was for her. She could come down 
And when we took them to the train after the whole night, the kids were so high on sugar. <laughs> <laughs> and the parents were extremely tired. And we see that, yeah, it, we should be there. We should be there to just be there for them. Like, you want to go to the toilet, no one will steal your child or cause any harm. And that's why training is so important for yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. And when we took this family to the train, and some people there, they were kind of retaining things, and I had to stand like... I brought this baby trolley, so I'm <laughs> going to take it to her. Because she couldn't even hold the kids. Yeah, she was yeah. asking, can I take it? Because just to pull the small one. The small one started to cry because she saw that we got in the train. We took their stuff in, but we are not going with them. <laughs> and that crushed my heart yeah. as a mother to, to see that the kids after the trauma, they are very nice to us. But when they have to take another train and go, you see the panic. They don't want to face that yeah. thing anymore. So... Now yeah. I can talk about it like this, but yeah, it was... There, there is a big dichotomy in these Ukrainian children and that they've, they've aged so rapidly, I think, through this experience. And probably also, you know, living in Ukraine in general, they've been in a sort of war time situation since 2014, in a sense, where it's been present in their country, which has not been the case for most of us growing up in the West. Uh, but these kids are so, like, old in some ways. And then you see immediately like two seconds later they're still kids and you get some reminder i was playing uh you know that card game uno yeah with like a group of ukrainian kids down at the uh what's it the hotel danubius mm -hmm. hotel hungaria danubius and there's a jewish organization there and my friend lisa who was on mm -hmm. the podcast last week some of you might remember she was playing the guitar and they had this group of ukrainian kids and there was probably like six-year-olds seven-year-olds eight-year-olds a three-year-old and literally me with like six of them and they were just dictating the card game like the three-year-old had his cards in his hand like this like he could have been smoking a cigar or something <laughs> yeah. and like the way that they're talking in english and they're just like so like little adults and i know that's always the case for kids but these kids it was crazy but then two seconds later they're like running around the room throwing balls at each other so you get like the immediate like um shock back to life like wow these are these are real these are kids and they're, they're going through what we were going through as seven and eight and nine and older and younger year olds but just in a hyper exaggerated experience that is probably a huge shock to the system i can only imagine yeah this thing should shock us in a way that let's do something let's are you optimistic about the future or uh, pessimistic just about the world in general not necessarily or yourself but I'm, ah, wow, what a question. I'm, I'm generally an optimist, but I, I'm not a idealist optimist. Uh -huh. I, I think that, um, yeah, there are giant problems in the world that won't go away or that will only go away partially. Um, I think that there will be more suffering and more pain and more war. Um, but I'm also deeply moved by the human spirit. And honestly, like in the past few months in Hungary to see that there are so many people who have come together um, to, to fill the void of aid um, for this crisis is really deeply moving. Mm -hmm, definitely. And, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not someone that at any point like um, in the past month has thought about fleeing Hungary. And I, because I know that that's also part of the narrative that like oh people are going to leave because of political situation, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm 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 not that way. I feel very um, still very much in love with with Budapest, and I want to stay here. 
And, and especially after this experience of, of seeing how, how generous people are when there's, um, when there's a, clear, a clear vision, like a collective vision. So yeah, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. both. Like, I, I think that, that I, I'm a person that believes that people are good and, and that, that people will persevere in the face of injustice. And yeah, and I think that there's, there's a strong... Um, yeah, community here of people that are trying to definitely. Yeah, no, that's I, I feel I feel very similar. It is mm. quite uh, draining, I think, to get, to go through a global experience like this and just see. But then it also sort of peels the bandaid off and makes you realize that this has been going on in so many places around the world in very similar extents, like in Yemen, in other places, other conflict zones that we much more easily, I think take for granted and some people want to point the finger at racism some people want to point the finger at like the 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 western allies and you know we're in cahoots with saudi arabia or whatever but it's also just the fact that a lot of these conflicts have been normalized and in a way we're seeing that happen with ukraine as well especially now that the war has been sort of shunted out to the eastern border and maybe the refugee crisis while still serious is not as emergent as it was a month ago or so and you can see people sort of start to get a little bit more comfortable with the situation but i think it's very important that we don't because especially in the european context we've seen what's happens when you accommodate uh an evil tyrant and let him let him get his way so but on the bright side i think that the west response has been fairly stiff i mean it could always be stiffer but it's been uh good to see that the ukrainian cause is one that people have coalesced behind Eh, not so much in hungary but you know Mm. elsewhere and then that's the, that's the other thing is that in Hungary, it really has, but more so from the people, as you were saying, rather than from the government. But like, it's the same thing with artists, how you have to separate the art with the artists. And I think you have to do the same with the government and the people, because in no way does the Hungarian government necessarily represent everyone in Hungary, just as the Russian government doesn't represent everyone in Russia, so on and so forth. But. Yeah. What about Brazil? What's the what's the situation? I know you guys have an election coming up pretty soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's our hope. Actually, I think everywhere in the world, it should be people should get stronger and get it seriously. That voting is a tool that we have, and at the moment, is the only tool that we have to try to be part of who is ruling the state. Because in theory, that's how it should be. The folks. What's, the who's the guy? The guy in uh, Brazil, Bolsonaro, right? Oh yeah, I say his name. I don't want. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> He's so, like Voldemort. Yeah, he, yeah Voldemort. Exactly. <laughs> so this uh, person who is uh, now the leader of our nation, he's uh, for many many years. He didn't start now being this kind of person. So Brazilians made a big mistake when they vote for him, thinking that uh, the left part was putting the country so down, but actually the opposite. So check the news, check the facts, check the numbers. So we really hope that uh, Lula will be the president again. Lula, he's Lula. a he's a Silva also, right? Lula da Silva. Yeah, Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva. <laughs> and we are all a big family. <laughs> he's more like a, he's more like a left wing socialist. Vibe. No, he's really left. But you know, I think all around the world, the left and the right, they are making some moves to try to uh, find the middle term, what I think it's very nice in theory as well, but yeah. it doesn't really work. Because there are many things under the carpet that uh, even both sides, I, I don't mean that's a 
better side or one side that is uh, more correct. Mm -hmm. Corruption is everywhere. But I think, you know, sounds a bit cliche maybe, but I still go to the point that if people think that, oh, but this politician, he will uh, steal from the people, he will be very corrupt and put a lot of money in his pocket. Okay, but if the folks are not losing the dignity, keep your pockets full with money. But don't, you, you can't make your people lose dignity. And there were some people who could manage that, you know. People were eating properly, people were going to school, Brazilians could go and travel. When I arrived in Hungary, people were here for another reason. Then I could see my fellows coming to Hungary because of studies, because they got a job and not a job that because they fall in love with someone, then they come to live here and from here something happened. So professional Brazilians coming here, students coming here, people uh, looking after their mastery and PhD. So for other reason, people were here. And also after the families moving, the students came and the families decided, let's go to Hungary. They had enough money to also spend summertime in Europe. And that's not the case now? No, it's not the case now. It's oh. absolutely not the case now. Oh. It's totally different. Of course, there, the programs that were created in another government yeah, are yeah. still going on. But we are again, there are again kids fainting in school because they didn't eat. Yeah. And we hadn't that for a long time. It was like we had a better situation. And those are all the domestic issues. I mean, I think the big international one that everyone hates Bolsonaro for is what he's doing to the rainforest because he's just gutting the thing and like slicing out the lungs of the planet, it seems like. Everything, so. everything with, with, the, <coughs> with the Brazilian oil, with uh, the forest, but, and, and together, if you kill the forest, you are killing the animals. Mm -hmm. You are polluting the river, so there is no control and also the violence against the indigenous people. We just had the case now that they raped a 12 years old until she died. And uh, a whole community was killed. So where are the people who should protect our culture as well? And these people, it's not just about culture. There are lives there. Mm -hmm. And yeah, when we see the crisis here, but not because of war, we have to forget about all, all the other problems going yeah. around in the world that didn't start today or yesterday. No, I think if anything, for a lot of people, it's opened up their eyes to these problems. I mean, maybe that's a little bit optimistic. I don't know how many of the actual percentages, but for me at least, and I know for a lot of people, it's made us feel a little bit more socially responsible. I mean, I don't know how you guys felt during COVID, but it was a little bit of like a nihilistic experience in a sense, because you just... There wasn't really like a good guy or a bad guy. Not that you need that, but there was just so much chaos and confusion out there. And it was sort of this invisible thing. But with the war, for me, it's been a much more like visual uh, alarm clock, I would say, in, in my own head. Um, yeah, but changing the subject, do you have a favorite place in Hungary to travel to that you've been? Uh, um, wow. Yeah, I mean, I love I love Balaton. I went to Matra the first in the first month that I lived here, and that's very beautiful. And we were talking about the the greenery of of Brazil and and how sometimes it's like it's coming towards you, yeah. like it attacks you, <laughs> it's verdance. And um, that's how you felt in the Matra. Uh, that's how I felt a little bit. And I'm I'm from the yeah. desert. Like I'm used to like browns, <laughs> lots of browns, and it's, uh, 
yeah, 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 like maybe into red, maybe in mm -hmm. orange. Um, and like that's what my eyes can perceive. And with green, it's like I, I feel like I'm not like it's a mirage or something. <laughs> and so I, I'm, I'm still very impressed by things like greenery and water. And yeah, so Hungary is, is really nice with that. They have this sort of like <laughs> Hobbit Shire like uh, country with a lot of these fairy tale flowing rivers and streams and, yeah. and the flowers there. Yeah. They can make so pretty gardens. Not <laughs> in the nature is beautiful, but I think the villages also they are so pretty. There is some uh, yeah, Matro Fured. Uh, like my boyfriend is from uh, the region of Jonjush, uh -huh. and I think that area it's very nice spotted. There's some uh, little places there with the uh, little hills. Excuse me. <clears throat> but uh, I used to work in Echak. There's also a very nice place with the wineries and the grapes. So nice. very nice, beautiful nature. And uh, the region of uh, Vespring, Tapuotsa. The nature is beautiful there. Beach. Yeah. We just got back from there, uh, Baranya Medja, which is where Paige is, and we went to this little town, Zenguvarkoin. It's actually the second time we've been there. The woman, Sylvie, she found me. She knows that I do some YouTube videos about Hungary, and they invited us to go for their Lukacnap celebration back in the fall, which is like this folk traditional celebration. They all dress up in costumes, march through this little town, and then get really drunk at night. I think that was the worst hangover I've had in the past. Like, Have you been to Mohach? Mohach, yeah, I went to the Busho Yarash. That yeah. was great. Also. That is awesome. That Have is you been? To the no, never. I've only seen pictures with these like giant. <coughs> yeah, that's masks wild. That's wild. You, you like scare away the bad spirits from the winter. I didn't. I, I didn't scare yeah. away anyone. But the you people with the masks. I mean, I, I didn't have the, the the masks are like. <laughs> They're crazy. It's like these giant yetis yeah. with these devil uh, satanic masks and they <laughs> light up a bigger bonfire than you've ever seen. And you're standing only like 10 feet away from it. So it's, you feel the heat yeah. and everything. It's cool. It's cool. It's definitely like a little bit touristy. A lot of people are there, you know, just to take pictures and stuff. But once the fire starts, you forget, you don't, I mean, it doesn't matter if there's tourists there or anyone really, it's just, you're in this inferno and it's a real crazy environment. But and I, the parade in the street, yeah, it, yeah. It's, it reminds me of Brazilian parties. Oh. A lot of people in I would the love street to go to a Brazilian and party. everybody's drinking and goes the music and uh, some people listening to some kind of music, but the folklore and music, it's ongoing and people are dancing. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Nice. What about in the world? Do you have a favorite place that you've traveled to in the world? Uh, I was in I was in Chile um, for my cousin's wedding in Ecuador, and my my father and I took the opportunity to be in that part of the world at least, and took the long journey to Santiago. And if if I wasn't in Budapest, I think I would be in Santiago. Wow! And we also went to this Valparaíso, which is mm -hmm. this like it's yeah, like Valparaiso a it's like a rainbow threw up and like beautiful <laughs> <laughs> beautiful houses. Nice! It's a in, incredible place. So you speak Spanish also? No, I mean I speak some. I studied Spanish in school, yeah. and I can, I'm because of the classical singing thing. I'm pretty good at pronouncing stuff, uh. so I'm good at. Um, being very convincing for the first 30 seconds of a conversation. My naivety becomes very clear. I'm sure you're just being modest, but that's that's how I feel about Hungarian sometimes. Well, I don't know. You have to get very good at like carrying the conversation and acting like you understand. Because for me speaking, even if I'm not speaking correctly, you know, I can carry on a conversation with myself in Hungarian fine. But then 
someone thinks that you know more than you actually do and then they start going into hyperspeed and you just have to know like when to nod and when to say okay but sometimes it gets you into trouble because you like start laughing and like why is that funny <laughs> what about hungarian foods you like hungarian food you're oh, a cook yeah i'm a cook i oh, love wow. hungarian food actually my favorite is the Vörös Börös Marha Pörköt Vörös with Galoska and a good uh, uh, Alma Paprika uh-huh. filled with uh, Kaposta and very spicy. Nice. That one that you cry, so with a <laughs> lot of taste. You can make this? Yes, I can. All right, when can I come over? <laughs> well, we were talking about maybe have a beer and maybe we have to talk about that. Okay, Let's cool. have a dinner. <laughs> yeah, that sounds awesome. I'm very, um, I'm, I'm very down to eat and drink anything. <laughs> what about you? You like Hungarian food? Yeah, very much. I really like this rakot kumpli. That's my... It's like a five five ingredient meal. You can put it in the oven, and then it's done in twenty minutes. And that's my that's my kind of food. Amazing. There's actually a really good Iranian or Persian restaurant that's like down the street from here. I forget what it's called. It's called the. God damn it! I used to eat there all the time. Anyway, there's, there's it's one delicious. in Yasaimari. Okay. And and there's another mm-hmm. one close to Kalati. I forget, but yeah, I've saw, I've I've noticed recently there's somewhere. What some is Iranian food? How would you or Persian food? How would you it's describe a, it? It's rice mostly, and um, and like a thick stew uh-huh. that you put on the rice, and there's usually something uh, like meat in it, like lamb or chicken, and um, like saffron and. Uh, yeah, what is it? Cardamom mm-hmm. plays central roles. How you eat vegetables? It's more like cooked or raw? Ah, like both, so? both. Often, like in traditional Persian food, there's like a middle, uh, a middle plate that has like basil and lots of green stuff on it, and like raw onions and the whole thing. And uh, and then also in the stew, there's lots of vegetables, like thick green, um, beautiful, bright. Vegetables. Lovely. So I'm getting hungry. Yeah, hungry. yeah, I know. Me too. <laughs> now my mouth is watering. <laughs> nice. Have you been in Brazil? You have a favorite Brazilian food? Oh, the favorite Brazilian food. Chicken hearts. Chicken hearts. <laughs> I mean, I lo- I love the just the the barbecue in general. Like that was so yeah. nice. We had the churrasco on like the Sunday, and the whole family came over. This was a while ago. Brazil was really my first real uh travel experience i wouldn't even call it independent well i went with a friend but not with parents basically international travel and this guy tomas his family's from puerto alegre and they invited us down there for a week and they did a churrasco on sunday and it was really nice and yeah i loved i loved the vibe in brazil it was a lot of uh good times and then it was unusual for me being an 18 year old uh, growing up in the suburbs and now all of a sudden you're in Brazil and the drinking age is 18 and you can go out and party as much as you want and there like the parties were starting at one in the morning like I'd never seen anything like that before you know being from high school or whatever like all of a sudden they're like oh no we're still waiting to go out we're going to go to the club or whatever I never really even been to a club and they didn't leave until one and that was a big <laughs> shock for me Excuse couldn't me. believe it but Brazil was uh really cool Really, really cool. I would love to go back. I went to Porto Alegre in the winter, so it's like the least Brazilian uh, environment that you could ever imagine. Do you have any bucket list places that you would like to go? I've never been to Iran. I would like to that, go. That sounds like... What, what's going on in Iran now anyway? Like, how is the political situation there? Uh, you know, I'm really not updated on it. Unfortunately, yeah. I'm, the, I'm not the right person to ask. And I, won't, I won't pretend to know. 
Uh, you probably know more about it than no, I do. No, not really. Actually, Iran, I don't, Iran, Iran, I don't. I mean, I think we. I just, I just know it in the sense that it's sanctioned a lot, and I think that's a little bit similar to the Russian situation now. Is that their economy also struggles, <laughs> but they have a very totalitarian religious regime in there. Yeah. And what about um, going forward, like in the next month? What would you like to accomplish with uh, HUR, Hungary, and the Ukrainian effort? I'll say, I mean, for, for me, um, with this project with Magyar Zenehaza, um, I'd, I'd like to have a sort of massive organized um, teachers, both Ukrainian teachers and Hungarian teachers, that are offering uh, regular classes, either at a centralized community place or in in homes or community centers where people are living or going to regularly, um, uh, programs for kids so that we can have sort of like a program that's <laughs> in place that's, that's running and where people can find each other. Um, and yeah, and continue offering these concerts. And I'm starting to, to make friends with um, other U creative Ukrainian people who are in Budapest and who want to lead. And so my hope is to find more of those and to put them um, in positions of um, yeah, power so that they can, they can organize their own, their own events. That's great. That's, I think, uh, creativity and education are just huge, huge helps to anyone, whether they're coming from a crisis or not, but especially in these crisis situations, it might not be the first thing that people think of, but I think it really, it's like teach a man to fish versus catching a fish type of thing. Like you really give the skills and the tools to people to, to help overcome these difficult situations. Yeah. So that's awesome. And we were talking about what to teach in school, like you mentioned taxes. And I think um, another, another big thing is, um, yeah, learning to work together and learning to problem solve. This is what we, we learn with creativity. What about you? Any goals over the next? Uh, uh, oh. Just a little bit more. Oh, Just a little bit more. Yes, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, it's okay. I think if I talk it, you will go away. Well, um, as I told you, this was a campaign, but our aim is to become a um, humanitarian center of uh, support. So we have already a name for it. The name is CABIS, Centro de Apoio Humanitário Brasileiro na Europa. So How do you spell that? C-A-B-E? C-A-H-B-E. C-A-H-B-E. Yeah. Humanitarian Center of Support. So H-U-R Hungary is going to turn into CABE? It or? won't turn in because uh, it's like, uh, I was thinking about it uh, even yesterday, it's like a baby born, mm -hmm. but in the wrong <laughs> position. It didn't come from the head, you know? So maybe we can see a little leg from it, but we are pulling this baby <laughs> and the whole body will come. So this is just one member of it. So H-U-R was a campaign of something that is bigger inside the many hearts and many minds. Mm -hmm. And our humanitarian spirit, just when we got together, we could see how big we can grow. So we decided that, yeah, if we can in a month, let's see if we are done with the association. Nice. Well, I, I have uh, high hopes uh, for, for both of you with this organization. And it's amazing what you guys are doing. And thank you so much for coming on and sharing this experience with HUR Hungary soon to be also Kabe with the rest of the baby as it yeah, continues to come. And uh, we look forward to seeing how we can help. And hopefully I myself can get involved with some of these activities because oh, it sounds like a great time. Sounds great. So all this information for everyone out there watching will be in the link in the descriptions or the description and with the links. 
whichever way you want to do it. And also we've started uh, for one of our guests two weeks ago, this guy Alma, he's a Nigerian uh, soccer player and he's here trying to get a contract with a professional team. He had to flee Ukraine and we started a GoFundMe. So I'll put the link to that in the description as well. You can check out how you can help Alma, how you can help HUR Hungary. And once again, thank you so much. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Save the pot. It was a pleasure. And see us talk. See us talk.